So one thing that Alex asked us while we were there is, is uh, when I was in Boston, do you think I exaggerated what the ministry is like here? Because if you may remember, he did mention the word kill and murder uh, about how many times? 100, 200? And uh, it was, it, I think we, we all agreed, no. In fact, when we drove into the slums for the very first time, just these little alleyways through the slum, sure enough, there was a big crowd of people hovering around a body. Uh, I don't know if it was, it was a shooting. We don't know if the person was dead or not. And then uh, the day after we were there, a couple people were murdered. And uh, then we went in the next day. And, you know, you may say, well... Uh, what are you guys doing there? I, I got to tell you, one thing as a pastor, sometimes I personally am given over to fear, not because, frankly, at this point in my life, not because I think I'm going to go in there and get shot, because uh, I know where I'm going, but what if something were to happen and people were just to say, what kind of shepherd are you? You're leading people from your church into slums like this? And, I, you know, we do need to. We, we have an elder board here and, and a leadership team who really prays about these type of things. Are we supposed to be there? We do know that the safest place to be is in God's will. It's safer for me to be down there in the middle of a slum where there are shootings every other day than uh, being here, uh, you know, safe somewhere in Boston, thinking I'm safe somewhere in Boston. But you know, the other thing is this. I, if Christians go, don't go into these places, who will? Well, the answer is no one will. You know, you, 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 at least to stay there. Alex, the thing is, the reason it's such a privilege, I think, supporting Alex is he's the first pastor I have ever met personally called to start a church in the slums. I've never met a person like that personally to start a church in the slum. We support other missionaries, and they're doing great, and we have tremendous respect for their ministries, but they're in middle-class neighborhoods. He's the first person uh, I know. It Usually what happens with this kind of ministry is they sort of stay, a church will stay outside the slums, and then they'll go in, they'll do a little ministry and, and go back out, but they won't sort of set up shop there. And he's doing that, and it is a tremendous privilege being a part of it. And we need to be praying for him, a tremendous amount of, of warfare. In Haiti, there's the voodoo thing. In Brazil, there's Macumba, which is a similar kind of demonic thing. We need to be praying for him. And yes, it was a, tr- a trem- tremendous privilege. Uh, do think about uh, and pray about going yourself on, on one of our trips. It, it's always a wonderful experience. Okay. Now, time for God's Word. Uh, this will be the, one of the quickest, quickest sermons you'll ever hear from me. But um, <laughs> let's go to uh, Luke chapter 9. You can rise for the reading of God's Word and please raise your hand if you do not have a Bible. Luke chapter 9. We are in... Verse 46. Luke chapter 9, verse 46. This is 
Jesus with his disciples around him, it says this, then a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be the greatest. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a little child and set him by him and said to them, whoever receives this little child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all will be great. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this word. I thank you for the gospel, Lord, that frees us up to understand this word, that what we just saw, Lord, you freely choosing to go to the cross, the bloody cross, where you took our sin, but death did not bind you. You were not permanently imprisoned to it. You raised from the dead to give us new life and to be able to understand these words, this gospel. We pray that you would do that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. So a few weeks ago when we left off in chapter 9, we saw one of the most extraordinary incidents Recorded in the Bible, the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus was transformed. The Bible says the actual Greek word in the book of Matthew and, and Mark is he was metamorphosized into what he will look like for all eternity, reigning in power. And the, the Bible says that his face shone like the sun. His clothes became bright as a flash of lightning. Verse 29 of this chapter says his, his appearance was altered. His robe became white with glistening. And, and you talk about a worship service. And uh, Peter, James, and John, only of the 12 apostles were there. And they came you know, it was such an incredible worship experience for them. Peter was actually beside himself, and Peter actually was talking about that experience 40 years later, right before he died. In the book of Second Peter, you can, uh, you can actually read about it, where he talks about seeing the Lord reigning in his glory on the holy mountain, Second Peter. But then what we saw was they had to come down from the mountain. And it would be nice if we could just uh, hang out with the Lord on the mountain and just stay there. But he calls us down. He tells us to go, to love people, to uh, get off the mountain. And we saw them do just that. And when they went to the bottom of the mountain, what did they see? A great multitude of people. And it wasn't a great multitude of people just hanging out and having a good time. They were arguing with each other. They were arguing with each other about God. And I don't know about you, but one of the most discouraging things to be around is people arguing about God. And if that weren't bad enough, they also met the, uh, in the middle of this crowd. There was, uh, out of the crowd came a demon-possessed boy. Uh, and, and so this is so often when we uh, leave a, a mountaintop experience, this is what uh, we go back to. And the father of the demon-possessed boy came up to Jesus and said, your disciples could not cast this demon out. And uh, 
we read about uh, why it is that uh, it was not, the demon wasn't cast out. Actually, in the, the book of Matthew, uh, Jesus goes into some detail. Uh, he says, well, it, uh, it, the disciples came to him in private and said, why couldn't I cast this demon out? And, they sa- and Jesus says, well, because you, uh, you, your little faith. Uh, but he also said, he also said what, Matthew? Who knows? This kind only comes out through prayer and fasting. And that's in the book of Matthew. Now, we're in, the, we're in Luke now. One of the great things about reading the two books side by side is they both add to each other and they really complement each other. In Luke, what Jesus, what Luke goes on to record, I believe, also contributed to their lack of power. And it was this. Some sin issues had crept into their life. And Luke goes on to describe them in the verses this morning. They had replaced their, the prayer and fasting and seeking after God. That had been replaced with sin issues. And oftentimes in counseling, when people are talking to me about their anemic, their weak prayer life, Come to find out as I'm talking to them, there are sin issues that have gotten a hold of them, which are the real cause. Now, if you've been with us in Luke chapter 9, remember at the beginning of this chapter, Jesus gave them authority and he gave them power to do three things. What were they? Number one, heal the sick. Number two, cast out demons. And number three was preaching the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom of God. And they went out and they did. They preached the kingdom of God. They cast out demons. And uh, they also healed the sick. But here in the middle of the chapter, or towards the end of the chapter, all of a sudden, they're not able to do that. Well, Luke goes on to describe three different sin issues that had crept into their lives. And that's how what sin always does. It just doesn't appear in someone's life just it's it's gone one day and it's here tomorrow. No, it creeps into their lives. And um, I believe this also is Luke's explanation of why they couldn't get that demon out or this kind, this extra powerful demon. The Bible does say that there's, it's, it's, unclear exactly what's going on, but there are certain demons that have more power. And so three sin issues that uh, Luke describes here, which I believe emptied, I believe Luke is getting across, the Holy Spirit's getting across, emptied them of their power. In verse 46, we, we uh, read about... Um, the first one. It says in verse 46, it says, then a dispute, an argument arose among them as to which of them would be the greatest. An argument arose among them about who would be the greatest. Ugh! You must be kidding me. No. No. This is what the word says. Sin issue number one. What is it? Pride. Sin issue number one. Pride. You know, we just talked about going into Brazil into dangerous areas 
a place where you really want to have the power at work, the place where you really want to be emptied of yourself. Oh, wow, is, is this an important message? Last uh, Sunday, Pastor Scott gave a message from Ephesians 6 about the importance of personal holiness to be successful in spiritual warfare. Pride will empty you of your spiritual power in your life. Pride will make you an easy target for the devil. Pride. The Bible says pride comes before destruction. Pride comes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Another proverb says this, when pride comes, then comes shame. When pride comes, then comes shame. What is pride? What is it? Well, first give you the dictionary.com definition, okay? Forget about Webster's. Man, those old-timers use Webster's. Pride, a high opinion of one's own dignity, importance, merit, or superiority, whether as cherished in the mind or as displayed in conduct. I like that. Hey, Webster's, who needs you? Dictionary.com. But you know the Bible, I want to give a, put up a biblical definition. Pride is simply this, taking credit ourselves when the credit belongs to God alone. That's what the Bible says that pride is. And here's the deal. Pride will empty you of your power, your spiritual power. It will empty you of it. If there's a pride issue in your life, you will find your prayers begin to go unanswered, just as the disciples here in chapter 9. If there's pride in your life, you will not see the hand of, the, of God reveal himself to you in your life. If there's pride in your life, you will see a lack of fruit in your life. Why? Because God resists the proud. That's actually a Bible verse. God resists the proud. James chapter 4, verse 6, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. You're setting yourself up in opposition to God when you have a pride issue in your life. But how does it manifest itself? How do we know if we have pride? How does a person know? One of the dangerous things about pride is that it blinds you. It blinds, pride blinds you. So you don't know that you have it. That's one of the problems with pride. But let's look at our verse here in Luke 9.46. We actually learn how pride gives itself away in a man or woman's life. It says in verse 46, Then a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be the greatest. What is he doing here? What are they doing here? Anybody? What are these disciples doing here? How is their pride manifesting itself? Anybody? What are they doing here? They're bickering. What else? Comparing. They're comparing themselves to one another. When there is pride issue in your life, when there's a pride issue in your life, you take credit from God what is his alone, and you begin to compare or exalt yourselves above others. And this is such an important issue. 
And guess why there's so much pride in the church? One of the reasons, including pride. You see pride here in the church, pride in the church. One of the reasons, because so often when you, a, a preacher is preaching about sin, you hear about three things, sex outside of marriage, alcohol, and drugs. Sex, drugs, and alcohol. Sex, drugs, and alcohol. Sex, drugs, and alcohol. But something preceded all that. There was a sin. A sin in the garden. And it was what? Pride. Pride precedes every other kind of sin. Pride is the foundation for it. And so it manifests itself in so many ways where um, we, we're comparing ourselves. And how do we do this? Well, we, you know, I'm a better speaker than those other guys. I'm a better musician than those other people. I, I am smarter than them. Uh, I know more about the Bible than these people. Uh, I, 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 I give more money to the church than these people. I have a better marriage than these people. I have been a Christian longer than these people. You know, if you've come to the point in your life where you think there's little or nothing you can learn from a brand new believer, you are filled with pride. I have more, uh, I, I have more stuff than these other people. I have a better job than them. I have a better house than these people. I am better dressed than these people. I don't watch TV. I don't watch movies. I don't drink alcohol. I'm not wired into the internet. I don't smoke weed. I've never smoked weed. I've never had sex outside of marriage. I've been pure for 24 months. I've uh, been clean for 36 months. I've never used foul language. I never lie, cheat, and steal. Listen, all those things are good things. They're not bad. It's only when you start comparing yourself with others, even in your own heart, when that becomes bad. It's more than bad. It's nasty, it's ugly, and the Bible calls it demonic in the book of James. Is there any wonder why we lose our power when pride comes into our life? Proverbs 6.16 says, God hates it. They were comparing themselves with one another. Verse 46, then a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be the greatest. They were trying to prove that there were certain things about them that were better than each other. I, 1 Corinthians 4.7 puts it perfectly. 1 Corinthians 4.7, this is the Apostle Paul. For who makes you different from anyone else? See, that's what was going on. That's the foundation of this verse. The Corinthians were comparing themselves with each other in the church. What do you have that you did not receive? In other words, if you have something about you, you're a, you have a discipline in your life, so you're a good worker, or you're, you're, you have discipline in your life, so you have a good quiet time or devotion time with God, or, or you're a good singer, or you have doctrine you know the you know how to articulate the finer points of doctrine or you're good looking or you've got money whatever what do you have that you did not receive paul is saying and if you did receive it why do you boast as if as though you did not 
I love that. And what are they doing? They're comparing themselves to one another. They're in current. If you find yourself comparing yourselves favorably towards other people, you have a pride issue. Pastors are famous at this, comparing the size of their church, the size of their ministry. Pride. The the irony is they are emptying themselves of power. But praise God, there is grace. We'll see that in a second and how Jesus handles this. But quickly, here's the standard in the Bible. Here's the standard in the Bible. Romans 12.10, honor one another above yourselves. That's pretty clear, huh? Say, oh, that can't be true. Now, we better go to the Greek because, uh, you know, we've got to explain this one away. Well, here's another one for you. Philippians 2, 3, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. That's the biblical standard. So, but anyway, Jesus' disciples here disputing with one another, who's the greatest? How does Jesus deal with it? Verse 47, let's continue. It says, and Jesus, perceiving the thoughts of their heart. Oh, no, Lord, you really see everything that's going on in my heart? Please say no. Yes, I do. Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a little child and set him by him and said to them, whoever receives this little child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me, for he who is least among you all will be great. And so Jesus here, here's his disciples, who actually knows what's going on in their thoughts. Actually, in the book of Mark, uh, it says he asked them what they were doing, knowing what they were doing, but they didn't say anything because they were filled with shame. He hears them. Does he blast them? Does he smoke them? Does he rub their nose in their sins? Guys, Do the words, blessed are the poor in spirit, mean anything to you? Do the words, blessed are the meek? Does that, do you remember anything about that, that phrase? No, he doesn't. Grace, grace. Sometimes the Lord gives us a severe rebuke. He he knocks us right between the eyes, but so often he's gentle. David says to the Lord in Psalm 18, your gentleness has made me great. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. Your gentleness has made me great. And that's what he does here. We see his grace here. Luke chapter 9, classic example of that. He doesn't blast them or even rebuke them. He just calls a child, and he has the child sit down next to him. Sit down next to him. And he just says, whoever receives this little child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me, for he who is least among you all will be great. And in the book of John, it says, whoever is a slave to all will be the greatest. That's grace. I love the grace of God when he instructs us in such a, a gentle way. But here's the deal. When we have pride issues in our life, we will neglect, we will pay less attention to 
the very ones that God wants us to pay most attention to, the very ones that God wants us to invest in. Children at the time, and in this day, they were best seen and not heard. Spending your life on children, spending your life on the elderly. I praise God that we have one or two people every week in this church just going and spending time with the elderly. It's not even official ministry in the bulletin. No one even knows about it, or very few. Every week, almost, there's someone spending time with the elderly. There's no credit for that. People who won't pat you on the back, the handicapped. I'm not talking about a job. It's great if you work with a handicapped. It's great if you work with sick people. I mean, spending your lives on immigrants, spending your lives on immigrants, illegal immigrants, spending your life on them, on those in prison, investing in them, loving them. Jesus is telling, he's saying, you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven? Don't compare yourself with anyone. Rather, identify yourself with the least. Is everyone with me on that? If you want to be greatest in the kingdom of God, don't compare yourself with really anybody. Rather, identify yourself with the least. Sin issue number one, pride. It'll empty you of your spiritual power. Sin issue number two, verse 49. Now John answered and said... Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow with us. Verse 50, but Jesus said to him, do not forbid him, for he who is not against us is on our side. Everyone complains about the lack of revival in the United States of America. Why? Because denominationalism, sectarianism, just reigns in this country. And actually, it's not denominations in and of themselves. Because uh, it's, it's the attitude we have towards others. They have a different method of ministry than we do. Uh, they... Uh, teach differently than we do. They worship differently than we do. They have different points of uh, doctrine than we do. So what's in issue number two? Lack of unity. Lack of unity will empty the body of Christ, empty a church of its power, of its power. And Lack of unity within a church will make it an easy target for the devil. Remember, the context of all this, they couldn't cast out that demon. Why? Because there's just a lack of unity. They're arguing about each other. And then they're going to other people uh, who were followers of Jesus, but they just didn't hang out with Jesus. They apparently had uh, heard the teaching and went out on their own They started casting demons out in the name of Jesus. And it says the disciples tried to stop them. But it says they were unsuccessful. John says, we couldn't, we we were unsuccessful. Apparently it was successful. 
They freed, they liberated people. And, and here the disciples are complaining about it. We need to be intentional in making sure that the body of Christ is made up of really many different denominations and groups. You know, I, we make a point of it around here We've the, uh, of asking people to come in and teach from other churches. The person uh, who has taught most at our church uh, is a Presbyterian. We've had a couple different denominations within uh, Presbyterians uh, uh, teach here, a number of different Baptist denominations uh, for our men's breakfast this September. We're going to have a Nazarene pastor for our women's uh, retreat. We're going to have a wife of a Baptist pastor. And man, in March, we're looking at a Pentecostal pastor for our men's retreat. Praise the Lord. Say hallelujah to that. And, and, and you know something? I, what I'm not saying is, oh, you know, the distinctives of how we have chosen to do church are not important. We think they are at Calvary Chapel. However, we have to empty ourselves of the view that we're the only good church out there or that we're any better, really, than any other church. Because what did Paul say in Corinth? Don't act, if you've received something, no, you haven't. Quit acting as if you've received anything. So it's, it's all about grace. It's all about grace. And, and, and so uh, just the importance of not looking at other churches and looking down on them. Now, of course, uh, if there are other churches which slip into heretical teaching that Jesus is not God, for example, we don't want to join ourselves to those kind of people. That is not what Jesus is talking about here. These were people who followed him. Sin issue, number two, lack of unity. It will empty you of your power. You know, if you do a comparison of, of, of the early book of Acts and Corinthians, in, in, the, in the book of Acts, uh, chapter two and, and three and four, it says they were of one mind towards each other, and everything that they had, they had in common. And what happened? They prayed, and what happened? The earth that they were, the, rather the room that they were in began to shake. Rather, in, the, in Corinth, who Paul was uh, uh, writing to, they were saying things like, well, I'm, I'm a follower of that guy, Apollos, or I'm a follower of that guy, Peter, or I'm a follower of that guy, Paul. And, and, and so the division, sin number two, lack of unity, sin number Three Sin issue number three, which will empty you of your power. Verse 51, now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. So he's now, he's on his way to the cross. Verse 52, and he sent messengers before his face, and as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. The, the Samaritans, for 700 years, there, there was a hatred between the Samaritans and the Jews. The Samaritans had really taken the word of God and twisted it around where, to the point, actually, where they were not worshipers of Jehovah. You could say in modern-day language, they weren't Christians anymore. They had just 
made up their own religion. And, uh, and, and they had a hatred towards one another, and they wouldn't let Jesus stay there. And it says, uh, verse 54, it says, And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? Elijah brought down fire from heaven to, to, to consume the prophets of Baal. Verse 55, but he, Jesus, turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Sin issue number three, lack of love. Sin issue number three, Lack of love. So, you know, you can have a life of humility, a lack of pride. And uh, sin issue number one, you're, you, 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 you're, you're, your life that may not be characterized by pr- uh, pride. You may have a life that's characterized by also by unity in the body of Christ, but you can still lack love, and that will empty you of power. Your prayer life, your ministry your marriage, your family, the, it will empty you of power. You will prevent the Lord from moving through you with a lack of love. You know, so often uh, we like to prove how on fire we are by blasting people from other religions. Just by blast, uh, blasting them. Uh, you know, uh, Jehovah's wish, uh, Witnesses, Mormons, um, uh, is the Islam, Muslims, Hindus, whoever, Unitarians, people who don't really believe in everything and, and everything. We, we go out b- proving how zealous we are, just like James and John, by blasting them, you know, fire going through our nostrils type of deal. And then... You know, you hear this issue, well, uh, you gotta, you got to tolerate people. We should, as Christians, we need to be tolerant of people from other religions. Do you know how many times the word tolerant is mentioned in the Bible? Anyone have a guess? Zero. Do you know how many times the word love is mentioned? Hundreds of times in the book of First John alone, it's about twenty-three, and 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 so uh, we don't tolerate people from other religions. We love them. Now, it absolutely is the case that sometimes that means telling them the truth, telling them that there is something before them that if they don't walk away from, if they don't repent from, they will spend the rest of eternity in torment apart from God. And love does look like that. And that's not intolerance. That's love. However, remember what love is. It's also kindness. It's also approaching people in the opposite spirit. They're coming against us. It's being courteous to them. It's blessing them. People from other religions, blessing them, washing their feet, and here, here uh, we see uh, James and John saying, hey, should we uh, just 
torch him, Lord. Now, the most wonderful thing is this guy, John. You, you know, we can see when it comes to love, we're like, oh, I think, you know, I have maybe pride under control. I think I may have the, uh, the, the unity thing under control, lack of division. But love, oh, how I feel cold in my heart. You know what the most encouraging thing is? This same guy, John, who Jesus named the Son of Thunder. Someone said because of this verse, he should be named the Son of Thunder and Lightning. You want to bring both down. If you look at the book of John, which is written about 60 years after this. And yes, sometimes it takes that long. Sin, we're so fallen into sin. We're, we've been so corrupted. It does take a lifetime sometimes to get to the point where that love is really flowing through us. And in the, in the book of John, again, 1 John rather, he writes it at the, towards the end of his life, that word love. He just emphasizes it over and over again. And 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I I just want to end with this. How do we have power in our life? It's that love. Though I speak with the tongue of men and angels, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. But have not love, I've become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. I know a lot of pastors and preachers like this. Man, did they get their doctrine right, but they sound like a clashing cymbal. Why? There's no love there. They get all their points of doctrine really, really good. But you look at their life, there is no manifestation of love in their life. I have become a, uh, rather, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. That means we can memorize the whole Bible. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 8, he says, knowledge puffs up, love builds up. And he was speaking about people to people who, man, they had all their teaching, all their Bible down pat, but they were just proud in it all. 1 Corinthians 13.3 concludes like this, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, I can go down to Brazil, Fortaleza, and go into... uh, Pirambu slum and just go and, and just defy fear and uh, just be willing to die. But if I, it says, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it doesn't profit me a single thing. A lack of love will empty you of power, spiritual power. I'm actually going to invite the Brazil team back up. You know, I, I just was so proud of this group. They're going to finish with a song that uh, this song actually turned out to be a big part of how the Lord uh, used the team there in Brazil. The, um, it's, we, it's a bunch of gringos singing in Portuguese. I tell you, you know, you talk about humility. I, maybe that may be it. Uh, being, you know, I remember I was up there one night singing next to Greg, and he was just wincing as I was pronouncing the Portuguese. So um, every, every, every time I wanted to know if I was singing right, I would just look at Greg, and he's going like that. And, but anyway, um, it, you know, I think in terms of our 
in terms of our ability and this type of thing, particularly when you compared it at that Pentecostal church at the last night, their worship team was just phenomenal. You know, we weren't necessarily the most talented. However, they loved seeing people ministering in this way. And uh, there was a a lot of, it was just a good expression of love. Uh, If you've been asked to pray, if you can come up. Uh, if you could, uh, if you could, if you've been asked to pray, we'll have people praying here on in both corners uh, during this final song, and uh, we now are just going to, uh, and I'm actually going to join this. I think uh, we're actually going to make uh, an attempt at uh, singing in Portuguese. Why don't you all stand up? Uh, we, we will. Uh, I tell you what, I'll close in prayer, and then we'll. Uh, then we'll sing. And if anyone needs prayer uh, during the wor- this closing worship song, uh, c- just come up for prayer. We will also be doing the English version as well. But uh, please come up for prayer. But let's close the service uh, with uh, prayer now. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for uh, this time to really reflect on your power. The Bible says you have not given us a spirit of fear, but love power and a sound mind. And, and what empties us of it, Lord? We don't want to have anything to do with anything that empties our life and prevents you from working with power in our life, Lord. We pray that you fill us with the Holy Spirit through whom it really he is our only hope. And yet you promise to fill us with the Holy Spirit if we ask in faith. We ask for that now, to fill us with power, Lord. We pray that you'd expose pride in our lives. I pray that you expose it in mine, Lord. A lack of unity, a lack of love, you'd expose it, Lord. And we just need the grace, Lord, for those things in our life. We want to be a church. We want to be a people, Lord who ministers in power, who goes into our jobs and our families with power, Lord, with that humility, with that unity towards the body of Christ and and other churches, and with that love, Lord, that your name would be glorified in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.